Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. Ha, 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 ha. What happens if you need a little bit of cash, but all you're doing is holding crypto? Do you sell your crypto, cash it out, and then, well, but you don't want to cash it out. You want to hodl. You know there's going to be Lambos in your future, maybe Rari's on Mars. But what do you do? Well, my next guest, Mr. Rune Christensen, made a solution for you. Why don't you use your cryptocurrency as collateral to take out a loan? Use that money and then get your cryptocurrency back when you pay it off. Well, you know what? We're going to learn all about MakerDAO and DAI stablecoin directly from Rune himself. And I'm excited to talk to him. But before we get into that conversation, if you're going to be in Japan and you're going to the Teams Summit, maybe you want to use Crypto101's promo code. Go to summit.teams, that's T-E-A-M-Z dot C-O dot J-P. Click their tickets button and use promo code CRYPTO101 for 30% off your tickets. So if you're going to be in Japan and you're going to this conference, might as well get 30% off by using the CRYPTO101 promo code. Also, don't forget, wherever you're listening to this episode, make sure you're subscribed, leave us a rating and a comment, share with your friends and family to get them the 101s on blockchain, cryptocurrency, and digital assets. Don't forget to follow us on social medias, our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram. You can find those links at Crypto101Podcast.com. There's icons there. Just click them and then press follow. I want to say thank you very much to Randy for editing this episode. And don't forget, support the show by being a patron and get these episodes a little bit ahead of everybody else and much, much more. So without further ado, we'll see you after the show. Here's Mr. Rune Christensen with MakerDAO and Die 101. Rune Christensen, co-founder of MakerDAO and CEO of the Maker Foundation. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thanks for having me. Rune, it's a pleasure to meet you. Man, I've seen you all over the place. DAO is a very popular project. The DAI came out and it has just basically changed stable coins. I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm, I agree. It's been a lot of traction recently. So, but before we go into your projects, let's just talk a little bit about yourself. Can you please just tell me about you, where you grew up, just your upbringing, your inspirations? Let's get a Rune 101. I was really just a regular Danish kid growing up in Roskilde, which is my hometown, which is kind of like in the middle of the Danish island, Sealand. And then when I was 18 and done with high school, I went to China rather than study in university because I was a little bit tired of going to school. And sort of through that experience of living in China, working there for several years, where I worked as an English teacher in kindergartens, I set up a business in China to, to actually just like let other people do the same thing I did, which is go to China after high school and work as an English teacher rather than going straight to, you know, kind of as a sabbatical, right, before going to university. Right. And that was a really interesting experience. And during that time, I then also discovered Bitcoin. and then, yeah, like it was just a really fascinating concept, right? And especially because I was already traveling so much and living in different countries, I really saw the advantage of this kind of like global money, right? And how it's basically, you know, I was really faced with how annoying it is to transfer money abroad, for instance. And uh, that really drew me to Bitcoin and blockchain, how, you know, this really can solve like very real, obvious problems. Bro, where'd you live in China? Beijing primarily, but also... In really? What years? Time. I was living in Beijing too. I came there in 2009 Okay. and then lived there for two years and then started my business there as well for another two years. Right on, right on. What, what part of Beijing, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, most of the time I lived right at the Dongjiman Chao. Okay. All right. I was living in Wudaoko for the most part. Yeah. I actually also over in Haidian. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> Excellent, man. Foreign areas. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, man. Uh, I wonder if we've ever crossed paths because I was living in Beijing in 2009, 2010, and then moved down to Shanghai from 2010 to 2017. Well, did you go to Senator a lot? <laughs> Maybe. I. I have been there, yes. So, you know, actually my fascination with Bitcoin is very similar to yours, is I was living abroad. I was in Beijing for six years. I was in Shanghai for seven. And just getting money back and forth at that time was a pain in the ass. To send money home, to get money back, it was almost impossible, especially with the Chinese banks and being a foreigner abroad. Is that how you experienced it too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And especially doing my business there, right? Then I actually had to start transferring money in larger amounts and deal with things like capital control and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So after Beijing and starting your business in China, what was your next step? Yeah, so I discovered Bitcoin at this time, right? And I got really into Bitcoin. And then eventually I actually had to shut down my business or kind of like wind it up because the regulations in China around visas for foreigners became so strict that it actually wasn't possible to do anymore. And then I went back to Denmark and I finally started a university. And basically during, and actually first I started business school and then just thought it was boring, basically got tired of it. And so dropped out and instead started studying biochemistry. And during this time, I was also really involved in crypto and initially it was Bitcoin, right? And then after a while, around the time of the bubble of, of like 2014, 2015, I, I actually got really disillusioned with Bitcoin because I'd basically invested all the money from my business into Bitcoin. Mm. And, you know, like, so the, I've been through that bubble and earning tons of money because I bought like most of my Bitcoin at $80, right? But then, so, so I saw a huge gain up to the top of that bubble, but then also just held it all the way down to the bottom, right? Because I'd ultimately I bought the Bitcoin because I sort of thought that there would be this new world where everyone would use Bitcoin, right? So, right. I, you know, I was a real real believer right a real hodler right. and uh, the, yeah i mean in the end I, I just lost so much money on that right and there really is a, just a tremendous kind of like you know it's really not a nice feeling to like just lose so much money you know especially if it's like really really like millions of dollars that you're losing right it's like a kind of you know <laughs> it, it really is a, a strange feeling right i mean in general so i just realized that this kind of volatility and, and that very effect and just like the general, the effect of volatility and the effect of losing money from your money would mean that Bitcoin wouldn't really be adopted in that way until that problem was solved, right? Mm -hmm. And from that, I got into stable coins, right? From that, I realized, okay, we need a system that can actually provide stability so you can actually, you can use it as money, right? And uh, initially, I got into BitShares. So BitShares, I would say the first blockchain 2.0 project that actually delivered on a lot of the, the like, at the time, totally sci-fi concepts, right? Like stable decentralized exchange all of that stuff was done by BitShares already in like 2014 and i got into that and i was like really into it it was, it was really great right it was really one of the very very first sort of new blockchain 2.0 projects but then somehow it just failed to really gain kind of critical mass like it didn't really gain traction it kind of stalled i think mostly because it was focused on many different things right so it both made a decentralized exchange it had like on-chain anonymity it had yeah, stable coins and, and all these different features. And the problem is it was just a little bit too much, right? So it wasn't really able to polish any single one of these solutions. So at the time, Ethereum then came out and that's where I realized BitShares probably isn't really going to get that network effect to, to get to critical mass. 
but Ethereum presented the perfect opportunity for someone to go in and build a project that just purely focused on solving the main problem of all these cool solutions, which was the stablecoin problem, right? And just only building a great stablecoin and then letting the rest of the Ethereum ecosystem create all the other stuff around it, right? And that's how, in the end, Mega was, was founded. I had a guest on the other day, Richard Hart, and Richard Hart always says these days that Bitcoin has failed as a currency, but is a great store value. Do you agree with that? Yeah, but the thing is, I wouldn't really say it has truly failed as a currency, right? It has definitely been used as a currency a lot. And it has really, like, let's say in Venezuela or something, right? It really is saving lives right now, right? And there's just so many examples of how there are businesses and startups that could never have existed if it wasn't for Bitcoin, for, for like, because they were able to use Bitcoin to pay their salaries with, for instance. And even Maker is like that, right? Maker was able to exist and, and be created because we used Bitcoin as money to coordinate over the internet, you know, and, and build up the project. So, I mean, in general, I think Bitcoin is just really an amazing kind of you know project of historical significance right but it's absolutely true that it's like like I, I don't think it's right to say it has failed right but it's not going to kind of like really penetrate the mainstream in a way that people used to think right that's just not gonna happen it's going to be more like gold right it's going to be right. this more niche type of yeah like store value counter cyclical speculative instrument there's two things that you said there that i really want to touch on really quick is the first one is the volatility of bitcoin and how you invested so much of your business profits into bitcoin and why all of that just ride down to nothing or a very little amount. I think there's a lot of people that have come into the space. You know, we had a huge surge of people come in in 16 and 17, and a lot of them are still hanging out. Why? Because they bought $15,000 Bitcoin and they're hoping for a little bit of a rise. I think that's very relatable. What did you do with your Bitcoin? And before we get into DAO and, and die and Maker, um, what did you do with your Bitcoin? How did you navigate through losing the money and to to propel you to starting a new business? Well, so in the end, I think basically what happened is I ended up with the same amount of money I started with pretty much, right? So, so I you still just held had, it? I mean, I, mean I, I invested early in Bitcoin, right? And then there was this bubble. Actually, I think the bubble was in, in 2013. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm not totally clear on that. Yep. But sometime 2013, 2014, there was this bubble. And I basically, yeah, I held all the way to the top and then I held all the way to the bottom. And then at the bottom, I actually like invested in, in BitShares and sort of started giving up on Bitcoin or, or not, you know, more like exploring the other two 2.0 projects that were coming out at that time. And eventually I even put money into Ethereum, not in the ICO though, unfortunately. But the next bubble that really happened was then when Ethereum started going up uh, much later, right? So in this time, the, the money just really stayed stable for me to some extent, right? And it was just enough, like my profits from my business in China originally was just enough to bootstrap Maker with. So that's essentially where the money went in the end, right? Um, right on. And, and so what's also funny is that in the end, I didn't really lose money on Bitcoin, right? I earned just as much as I lost, but that still is a really bad thing thing though because of this behavioral economics concept of loss aversion right that like you're really worse off you know earning a lot of money and then losing it all again you'd much rather just never have had that happen to you in the first place because for some reason a loss feels a lot worse than uh, than a gain mm-hmm. like mentally essentially so that's another funny concept that's one of the big reasons again why volatility is such a big problem because like the downside of volatility is much worse than the upside of it from a kind of a behavioral perspective. I also want to talk about a little bit about what you saw in Venezuela. You said that Bitcoin is saving 
lives in Venezuela. I know that Bitcoin, Dash, and a lot of other cryptocurrencies are down there. What did you see in Venezuela? And after I ask this question and we talk about what you see happening in Venezuela, then I want to bridge it to Maker and Die and see how that can help maybe places like Venezuela, Zimbabwe, or what have you. There's a lot of reports coming out of, of people using Bitcoin for, um, they use Bitcoin to send money to their relatives in Venezuela, for instance. And then there's a very active local market for Bitcoins in Venezuela and even places where people will use it as money directly, right? There's a city on the border of Colombia with Venezuela that has really like turned into sort of a city that is Bitcoinified and really where everyone knows about Bitcoin, everyone uses it because it's sitting right at, at the border of Venezuela, right? And it's about essentially um, getting like, let's say US dollars into Venezuela and helping people to deal with hyperinflation. And it's because there's hyperinflation in Venezuela, right? So compared to hyperinflation, Bitcoin is actually super great right now, right? It really solves this very real issue right now. And it's been adopted enough on a global scale that regular people will actually feel comfortable using it, right? And there's so many places where you can use it. And there's so much liquidity in it that it really does fit right into that problem right there. But yeah, again, it's like not really, it's better than hyperinflation, but it's not really optimal, right? So right. Th that's also why it's in Venezuela and not in some other place that it's really has gained this massive traction. Right. I think it's time to go into Maker 101. What is MakerDAO, sir? So what MakerDAO really is, is an attempt to, I mean, starting from the attempt to create the ultimate stablecoin, which means that, you know, we wanted to create something that solved the issue of volatility in crypto by introducing stabilities, so we can create a cryptocurrency that's pegged to $1, right? So it's like Bitcoin, but it's stable, right? It's $1 per Bitcoin or per coin, right? And uh, that means you can use it as money. And and on one hand, that's one very, very important characteristic. But on the other hand, it's also very important that this stablecoin retains the characteristics that are most key to, the, to, to blockchain and crypto, right? Which is things like decentralization, censorship resistance, right? Resilience and anti-fragility and all of this stuff. And in many cases, it's been a trade-off where you can have stability, but you can't have decentralization decentralization or you can have decentralization but then you can't have stability and maker was an attempt to solve that problem and actually combine these two characteristics Mm -hmm. However, it was also built directly on BitShares and the BitUSD concept. So ultimately, we didn't invent how to do this. We actually were able to build on top of what was already invented in BitShares, right? And really implement it on Ethereum. But then also what we did is we added a whole new dimension of features to it, or sort of like a whole new design space to it, because we made it a lot more focused on also the other side of the coin, so to speak, which is on one hand in these kind of systems, so in a decentralized stablecoin, right? There is the stablecoin, which is the, the coin that's very simple very easy to use you know it's one coin it's worth one dollar you can send it to your friends you can hold it in your wallet just like bitcoin you don't need to know anything about how it works under the hood to use it right all you need to do is you need to buy it for one dollar or buy a hundred of them for a hundred dollars and then send it to your friend and then he can sell them again for a hundred dollars right so the stablecoin aspect is very simple and what maker is really innovating on is yeah again like the other side of the coin because there's this sort of the opposite side of, of the stability which is what we call the collateral or like what we called the credit system as well sometimes, right? Because essentially the stability in a decentralized stablecoin has to come from somewhere, right? It has to be backed by something. Right. And what it's backed by is a smart contract system that holds other cryptocurrency and tokens in these smart contracts as collateral and holds an amount of them in excess of the circulating supply of, of the stablecoin, which ultimately means that if there's a million stablecoins in circulation, then there would be something like, let's say, $2 million worth of Ethereum as collateral behind it, right? And that means if you're holding a stablecoin, in order for you to trust that it really has the value of $1, all you have to do is you have to check on the blockchain to see whether there is this excess of collateral sitting there ready to back the stablecoin. And 
what Maker then does is it introduces the concept of diversification as well. So it's instead of just being something like Ethereum that's backing the stablecoin, it can also be other things. It could also be other cryptocurrency, or it can even be real-world assets in the, in a tokenized form. And that really creates this incredible level of stability to the system that's really comparable to how a bank works, actually. Um, but ultimately, it's all done on the blockchain, and it's all fully automatic. And most importantly, there's no central authority that sort of sits and, and directs or permits the system to work in a certain way and also has to you know that authorizes redemption of of the value of the stable coin for instance there's none of that it's all fully automatic so it's permissionless and it can be used everywhere and it uh, it means that you can build on top of it and actually build fully decentralized applications on top of the system so going more into MakerDAO and DAI a little bit more clear you have maker mkr and you have DAI. Is there a relation, and what is the relation between the two? Yeah, right. So, so DAI is the stablecoin that's worth one dollar. Mm -hmm. That's for normal people to use, right? It's really easy to use. You, you just buy it from an exchange or from like a direct broker, right? And you just hold it in your wallet and you send it to your friends, and it's just like using something like let's say Venmo or PayPal or something, right? Mm -hmm. You're just sending money, and you don't really have to worry about how it works. And then, so like I was just saying, right behind the scenes, there is this advanced system that stabilizes DAI using collateral, so using other valuable assets that are sitting in smart contracts locked in this autonomous system that guarantees that the value of DAI will remain stable because there is this excess of assets that are backing its value. And the thing is, of course, the reason why they have to be in excess is because all the other value, like all the other assets you find on the blockchain are, are volatile, right? So you can't just back DAI one-to-one. -one. You have to have more of the collateral than there's DAI right. to keep it stable, right? And then the big question is, how do you sort of figure out how much uh, over-collateralization you need, right? And how mm. do you figure out which other assets are the right assets to use for its stability, right? So, you know, because you want to avoid having some really terrible tokens in there that suddenly crash to nothing, right? You want to make sure that it's a lot of quality collateral and also that it's very diversified. So you don't have kind of like a crash in one asset causing a crash in the whole thing and, and it all crashes to nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where MKR and the governance system comes into play. So MKR and the governance of Maker is all about essentially voting and deciding on all of these questions, right? So how much over-collateralization, what types of collateral, what types of interest rate uh, for people who are, again, using the advanced functionality of the system, which is the credit system. So sort of the aspect of the system that allows you to actually put the collateral there in the first place and based on that, take out loans in the same way that, you know, most people that just use a bank to have their money in, some people, they also get a mortgage from the bank or they get a car loan from the bank and so on right but it's it's kind of like less people who do that and it's more advanced to deal with that right whereas for the regular people all you have to do is just use the bank to hold your money right right that's how on one hand you have the die users that just use those money and don't really worry about all the advanced stuff that's going on and on the other hand you have the credit system users who take collateralized loans from the system by depositing collateral into the system and then taking out a loan and later paying it back and getting their collateral back out from it and sort of this more advanced uh, financial interaction Okay, so let me just break this down to how I understand it so far. We have DAI. We can go on your website. I saw on your website you can buy some DAI one-to-one. -one. You can have 100 DAI for $100. You can use that like Venmo. You can use it like the dollar and send people this cryptocurrency and transact anywhere that accept it. Then you have the collateralized loan. And let's just say you have your Ethereum. Your, do you use Bitcoin or any other asset or just Ethereum right now for collateralized loans? Right now, we just use Ethereum. Yeah. So you have your Ethereum and you have to have more Ethereum to get a loan. So you have your Ethereum and you get a loan 
in die and your die is it's collateralized and you get your uh, x amount of how much ever you want in your loan in die how does i'm still confused though how does maker come into that and what gives maker its value because i just looked at coin market cap maker is mkr is 650 dollars a market cap of about 600 million i'm so yeah 600 million and i'm just confused like is that market cap from the collateral that everybody's putting up to take out these loans or is it speculation or how how does that work? Yeah, so the value of MKR comes from the fact that Maker sort of like Maker really is the governance of this whole system, right? So there is this interaction where on one side there are people who hold the stablecoin and they use it as money, and then on the other side there are these people who borrow the stablecoin with the collateral and then immediately sell it to those who want to hold it, so they can go and, and use it for something. And then finally there is the governance that sort of decides on which terms this interaction happens, right? Because again, you have to make sure that the die holders, when they buy die, they're not buying some coin that's backed by really terrible collateral assets, right? On the other hand, they need to be able to trust that when they buy DAI, it's actually backed by very legitimate assets and it's not going to crash. And to make sure that DAI is really easy to use, that's outsourced to the MKR holders. So in fact, MKR holders are kind of similar to the central bank that's making sure that the US dollar doesn't collapse, right? Um, and what they do is they set the terms for how you can take these collateralized loans. So today you can only use Ethereum, right? And that means that it's MKR holders that have decided, for instance, when you borrow money with Ethereum as collateral, how much interest rate do you have to pay on that loan? That's decided by the MKR holders by directly voting on the blockchain to decide that the interest rate should be something. Right now it's 1.5%, for instance. And that was actually just changed uh, last week. So last week there actually was a vote to increase uh, the interest rate or the stability fee, as we called it. And this decision was was made by a decentralized community of governance. So it's one of the ways that the system is kept decentralized, right? Because the decision is made by holders of this token rather than a, a single authority or a board of governors like in, in national banks, right? And one of the really, really key dynamics of the system is that the incentives of MKR holders is fully aligned with the system as a whole and sort of the goal of the system to keep the die stable. And that's because when they regulate the system well and they set the right risk parameters, you know, they set the right terms for the loans and they decide on the right collateral types to keep it diversified, then they essentially earn kind of like a steady stream of value to the MKR token. And that's because right now the MKR token is used to pay the fees in the system. So when you have to pay the interest rate when you pay back your loan, you have to pay that interest rate with MKR. And the MKR is then burned, so it's permanently removed from the supply. And that means that the more loans there are in the system, right, like the more die there is in the system and the more loans there are in the system because those two things are totally balanced out, right? Because all the die has to come from a loan somewhere. So the bigger kind of like the user base of the system, the more interest rates are constantly paid using MKR and removing it from the supply. So that way, it's basically when you buy MKR, it's kind of like a bet on, first of all, that the system will grow and there will be more and more users of the system. And also that you can participate in this voting to ensure that you're keeping the system very well managed, you're keeping the risk under control, and you're making it a very attractive system to use because it's very unlikely that it's going to collapse. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, there is also this final dynamic, which is perhaps the most important one. And that is that in the event that MKR holders, they do not properly manage the risk of the system, right? And they essentially choose bad risk parameters. For instance, they could allow a really crappy token as collateral. So you have a lot of people taking loans in the system, but they're really taking loans with, with hot air, right? And in reality, there's no value behind the die they're creating. And suddenly that collateral crashes, right? And goes to zero. In that scenario, 
there's a problem, right? Because potentially there could be insolvency in the system. There could actually be die in circulation that is no longer fully backed, right? Like the total amount of collateral in the system that's sort of backing debt directly would be less than the total amount of die in the system, which could, in the worst case, I mean, and that's a very big problem because that could mean that die would break its peg with $1, right? And it ultimately would go against the fundamental point of a stable coin. And also it would represent a failure of governance, right? It would represent that the MKR holders had really like fallen asleep on their jobs, right? And and, right. and allowed in some garbage as collateral. So the way the system really neatly deals with this issue is that if this happens and there is insolvency in the system, the MKR holders have to pay for it. And really they just pay for it directly due to the fact that MKR is inflated. So it's printed and created out of thin air essentially by the system and then sold on the market to recapitalize the system, right? So it's kind of like in the financial crisis when uh, all the banks went under and they have to be bailed out. Instead of the taxpayer having to bail them out it's as if kind of like the big banks themselves and the regulators and the central banks had to bail them out because they were the ones that made the mistake in the first place right so in maker the ones who make the mistake and sort of allow our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too that's the beauty of noom they build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions medical issues and other personal needs so your plan works for you Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. A crash and a shortfall in the system to happen just directly have to pay for their mistake. And that way, they're going to be really, really incentivized to prevent that from happening, right? You get this alignment of incentives where they will only be looking at the long run and they'll only be focused on guaranteeing the long run stability and sustainability of the system because they will have no incentive to try to like do a lot of crazy stuff to get some quick and easy short-term profits because if they do that, they're making MKR worthless because it's going to blow up in their face and result in a massive inflation of the MKR token. Mm -hmm. Looking at the MKR, token. And I just want to clarify this. There is on CoinMarketCap a circulating supply of 1 million. Uh, the price is $658 right now. And you said that some of those tokens get burned and some of them get created. How does this circulation keep at 1 million? That's my first question. And the second one is, what is the incentive of somebody to purchase maker um is it just you know like kind of like speculative investing as well like you know bitcoin or ethereum or what have you or does especially since they're going to be liable for any defaults in loan repayment or what have you what is the incentive for somebody to invest in mkr yeah so first of all actually the the total supply of mkr now is actually something like 999,500 okay so about 500 mkr has been burned so far okay this is just not reflected on coin market cap but it's actually that's sort of the case in the smart contracts and specifically it's because there's like a single part of the smart contract system that still needs to kind of like be uh, activated to probably reflect so like so aside like coin market cap will reflect it that supply will always continue to go down 
sometime around the, the launch of the next release of the system will then activate the burner, as we call it. And that means that the supply on coin market cap will now properly reflect the actual burn that has happened. And then you'll start seeing the effect of, yeah, the supply is, keeps going down over time. Got you. But again, that only happens, though, in good times, right? Mm -hmm. So in bad times, if the governance screws up, basically, and they don't properly protect the system, the opposite could happen, right? So you could actually see a spike in the supply of MKR. What people do when they buy MKR is that they are betting on that they can be a part of the governance and they can participate in the voting. And through that, they can ensure that the system will always be in good times, right? It'll always be stable and there'll always be this steady stream of income resulting in MKR burn over time. And they'll be able to prevent black swan events. They'll be able to prevent kind of like sudden crashes in the system that weren't predicted. And as a result, this inflation that has to happen in that case, right? And just to go into the very specific mechanics of how the MKR burn actually gives MKR value, it's specifically, it's because when you have a loan in the system and you have an interest rate, let's say you have to pay $100 in interest rate, the way you have to pay that is you actually have to go out in the market and buy $100 worth of MKR and then use that $100 worth of MKR to pay your interest rate with. And when you buy MKR and you participate in governance, you're doing it because you'll be able to vote for the system to get more and more valuable over time. And then at some point, you're waiting to basically sell your MKR to someone who's coming to buy it to pay the interest rate in the loan with. Or maybe you're actually buying it just so you can use it yourself to pay for your own interest rate with, right? To pay for your own loan with. You have all this F as collateral for these loans tied up in smart contracts. What prevents anybody at Maker to go in there and just extract all this Ethereum? You mean how, what prevents someone from like, like stealing the collateral? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, basically the, the smart contracts, right? So like there's no one who has that access okay. to really like go in and, and access the collateral, right? So that's the fundamental key feature of the system is that it's fully decentralized. There's no one who kind of had admin access or something like that, right? It really is a completely like self-sustaining and, and automatic system. Now, there are still components of the system that, that are sort of more centralized, I guess you can say, in the sense that they have a tie to the real world. And in particular, the most critical component of the system are the price feed oracles, right? So the opponents in the system that basically tell the system what the price of a particular collateral type is. It's actually sort of known as the, the oracle problem because this issue of getting external data from the real world onto the blockchain is this like incredibly hard problem in the smart contract space, right? Because fundamentally a blockchain has no way of understanding what's happening in the real world, right? It needs to actually trust someone to deliver that information to it. But what we've worked very hard on with InMaker is to figure out how to mitigate the risk of this issue, right? Which primarily, again, comes down to governance and basically a bunch of different cryptoeconomic mechanisms that ensure that even in the worst case scenario, uh, there's no way that like the collateral can get stolen, even if someone does like a really elaborate attack against the system and for instance, takes over the oracles or something like that. But rather the worst thing that can happen to the system is that it just gets shut down. So it kind of like stops running as a stable coin. And instead what happens is everyone is just settled out from the collateral in the system at the amount, like the value they're entitled to. So essentially if you're holding DAI and the system becomes uh, subject to a very severe attack, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you know before you were holding 100 dai and now you're holding a hundred dollars worth of various crypto assets mm -hmm. like sort of as, a, as an, an index of the overall collateral portfolio right so right. if if there was let's say a half ethereum and half bitcoin in the collateral portfolio then if you had 100 dai you'd then get 50 dollars worth of ethereum and 50 dollars worth of bitcoin and that's where that guarantee that that as long as the collateral is there you know that your die has value. That's where that really comes from. So that you don't have to trust kind of like a team. You don't have to trust an algorithm. The only thing you have to trust is that the Ethereum and the Bitcoin is there. So as long as you think Ethereum and Bitcoin has value, you can trust DAI. 
I apologize for that question. I know it might sound silly because it's smart contracts. You were probably, and your answer was just smart contracts prevents us from stealing it. But I think it's very important for people to hear you say that, that there is no way for you to take, you know, $100 million of F and run with it or anybody in your company, especially since we have seen so many, well, I don't know, just even accidents in the space, especially even in 2019 here. And we've already been doing this for 10 years. These things still do happen. One thing that I really like is MakerScan. It shows very transparent about everything that's going on, the CDP creation, which is the collateralized debt positions, if I'm correct. Can you tell me a little bit about MakerScan and tell me a little bit about what I'm looking at on that? When somebody goes to MakerScan, I see things called safe and danger. (laughs) What are those words referring to and how can somebody use that system? Yeah, so MakerScan is a really cool third-party made overview and uh, i guess you can call it kind of like a oh you guys like didn't a, make that no actually we didn't know so this is straight out of the community it's oh by cool the guys who also made instadep which i really encourage everyone to check out it's a really cool alternative system to access maker that we didn't make but rather that the startup that i think that i believe is based out of india created that's just an even better way to an, an easier way to to interact with kind of like the, the advanced functionality of the system right so the lending the collateralized lending aspect of the system and so these guys they first made a new side for interacting with uh, the smart contracts that made it easier to interact with them than what we actually had made in the foundation, which I think is super cool, right? And it's an example of the power of the blockchain that anyone can just come and build their own front end and it just works, right? And then they also made this makerscan.io, which is their uh, like block explorer, again, looking into kind of like the advanced credit engine that powers the DAI stablecoin. Mm -hmm. And so what you can see on all on this like list of a bunch of different stuff, like of sort of when you scroll down on Megascan, where do you have these things that are safe and in danger and so on? Basically what that is, is those are the specific collateralized debt positions in the system. So a collateralized debt position is kind of like an individual loan. So that means someone has put collateral into the system and they have borrowed die from the system and they've taken that die and they've sold it on the market or maybe they've bought more ethereum with it mm-hmm. uh, to get leverage and ultimately they're still holding the, the ethereum they put as collateral into the system they still hold that but it's kind of locked behind an amount of debt right and they can only retrieve it if they pay back that debt again just like when you take a mortgage on your house right you kind of like take out a mortgage and now the bank can actually they sort of own your house until you pay the debt down right exactly but you still get to live in the house right and you still get to enjoy the benefits if the house goes up in value and what makerscan is then showing is they're showing these particular loans and they're showing how well collateralized they are right so when it says danger on a loan it basically means that this loan has a, a collateralization that is pretty risky basically it means that there's not really that much over collateralization right and there's a specific cutoff in maker uh, for how risky a loan can be and that is in traditional finance term that's a, a loan to asset ratio of 66 percent which means 3x leverage is the absolute highest you can get but if you get close to that right so if you get to 50 percent uh, loan to asset right so if you get above 2x leverage so kind of like for every one die you borrow you have two ethereum or less as collateral in the system once you get to that point you're already pretty close to um, to actually reaching the point where uh, your position becomes so risky that mega would actually automatically take your collateral and liquidate it for you right so it can pay down your debt for you and then also slap a very big penalty on top right to sort of encourage that this shouldn't happen right encourage responsible behavior and just to clarify the use of this and just to clarify it's one die per every two dollars worth of f not not two f uh, no, yes so no so so this happens when you have only 1.5 f 
per die, right? So 150% over collateralization. Or another way to think of it is that if your debt represents two thirds or more of the, the value of the collateral, right? So a loan to asset ratio of 66%. So that's the percentage that's being shown on megascan.io. Okay, understood. That's interesting that you what you just said there is you said that people take their die, they cash it out, and then they do things with it. Do you have any stories of some things that people might have done with this loan process? Yeah, I mean, I actually also want to talk about, so there's, we have a lot of, of real world stories of how DAI is being used, right? And how Maker is being used. Because it's, yeah, it's actually sort of gone viral, right? And we've actually seen it being used in a lot of different uh, situations. And it's really interesting to see the very, very creative ways it's been used. But yeah, okay, so one of the most basic and typical uh, use cases, actually the single most basic use case of a CDP is people who use it for Ethereum leverage, right? So it's typically people who used to go on something like Bitfinex, or maybe like BitMEX or something like that, some centralized exchange to then take out a leveraged position of ETH, right? So they want to put in $100 worth of value, but they want to get kind of like, let's say $300 worth of exposure to Ethereum, right? So they really believe that it, the price is going to go up and they want to get really strong leverage exposure to it. The problem is if you do that with a centralized exchange, you suddenly have counterparty risk, right? You suddenly have all these problems that comes with, you know, handing over your crypto to someone else. And that's where the big advantage of Maker is that you're not handing over your crypto to some other person or company, you're handing over your crypto to a smart contract that ultimately you control and you can see in the code exactly how it's going to behave right so it, it removes a certain element of counterparty risk that otherwise exists when you want to get leverage in the crypto space so that's really what the primary use case for people right is to instead of having to go on a centralized exchange to go to margin trade to to get leverage exposure to ethereum they'll just use maker for it but there's also some more creative interesting stories right for instance there are many people that have used cdps to take out a car loan so they've basically been holding ethereum and they're like i, I want to keep holding my ethereum because i think it's going to go up in price but I also need to buy a car. So what they can do is they can just take that Ethereum, put it into the system and borrow enough money to buy a car. Probably they'll have way more Ethereum value, right? And they'll stay highly over collateralized. So there's very little chance that they could possibly, you know, they could possibly hit the risky point where the, their position could get liquidated. But rather they'll just be really safe in how they take the loan and they'll just take enough money to buy a car and then be happy that they have the car, they sort of get to use the value of the ETH, but they don't have to lose the exposure to it, right? They didn't actually have to sell their ETH. Mm -hmm. And later through their paycheck, they can just pay down the loan again, right? And then it's exactly like going to the bank and taking out a car loan. You can just do it much more easily over the internet. And also what's really important is, of course, everyone has access to this, right? So it's it's completely global. It's totally borderless and frictionless. You have a lot of, say, competition out there. Competitors such as Salt, BlockFi, they use your F, your Bitcoin or other crypto assets as collateral, just as you guys are doing and pay you in cash. You can get, say, put up $15,000 of Bitcoin and get, you know, $7,000 of cash and you can use that cash. Right now with your system, you have to go from your F to die, die to an exchange to F <laughs> to USD. And then if you want to use it for any kind of real world uh, things that don't take die, do you think that this system is better, easier, or has a brighter future than some of these other companies that are going straight to the cash? Well, yeah. So the interesting way to look at this, right, is to think of these, I would call them centralized collateralized lending services, right? So they're really just regular companies that take in collateral and then give you cash, right? They really are products, right? Like they're kind of like a full product where you go and you get some service. What Maker actually is and what DAI actually is, is more like a, an infrastructure. So it's not really itself a product. It's more like an engine that sits at the very bottom of the decentralized finance stack, then can power a lot of stuff that's built on top of it. So 
the thing is we haven't seen this uh, implemented in the wild yet, but I suspect that very soon there will be services that essentially offer the same service as a centralized lending company, but do so by combining together multiple pieces of the puzzle using Maker for kind of like as the credit engine and then a service like sendwire.com, for instance, as the, the connection into the fiat world. And basically, if you combine these two services, you can get a, a solution where, yeah, you just send Ethereum and you just get money out to your bank account directly, right? And you don't have to deal with any complicated steps of getting DAI and exchanging it and so on. Actually, all of that can be fully automated in the app itself, right? All you have to do is you have to combine together Maker's collateralized lending infrastructure and then SendWire.com's API. So SendWire.com is this, it's a basically an, a crypto on an off ramp, right? So it's a place where you can go and you can buy a lot of DAI for $1 each or you can sell a lot of DAI for $1 each with a small fee. And also if you are an app developer, you can actually use their APIs to to put this service directly in your own app. Again, you can combine together multiple pieces to create one very user-friendly app. And another really interesting thing is that it's actually very likely that a lot of these centralized lending services are already actually using Maker to source some of their credit. Because again, it's not really a product in itself, right? It's actually an infrastructure that, that anyone can access. And and the way that Maker competes or kind of like the niche it occupies is not being user-friendly or even being kind of like user-facing at all. Rather, it's developer-facing, right? And it's, it's kind of like business-facing in the sense that it's meant for others to come and build these very user-friendly and innovative products on top of it. And then what what Maker specializes in is the governance. It's the best at doing what it's supposed to do, which is to maintain a decentralized credit system and a decentralized stablecoin and do so in the most competent possible manner to ensure that it's totally stable, but also in, in alignment with that, also ensure that the fees and sort of the efficiency of the system as best as it possibly can be. So ultimately, it's really well positioned to be this kind of like underlying credit engine that someone like Salt could actually go to and, and source some of the liquidity from. I got you. I got you. So you, you're basically looking at these uh, so-called competitors as more of maybe resources in the future that can use your system as well if they want to make their own business off of it. Yeah, exactly. I'm quite sure that many of them are already doing this. Gotcha. Because, you know, in, in finance, things move very fast if you have cheaper interest rates and you have sort of a more efficient system. There's really no reason why someone who is making the business to lend to do like easy to use loans at, let's say, an 8% interest rate with Ethereum collateral. There's really no reason why they then shouldn't just turn it around and, and use that Ethereum collateral to borrow from Maker at 1.5%, mm -hmm. right? And then just make a really nice spread on, on the interest rate. True, difference. true. Before we get off of MakerDAO, die and the whole system infrastructure that you created is there any last things you want to say about that this thing about maker really being an infrastructure at the very bottom of the ecosystem uh, is really critical right in, in terms of how you understand it and it's also why for instance the mkr price is so high it's because people are not really investing and kind of like thinking about the system in terms of the very simple solutions and products that are built on it today, right? It's really about how they're betting on this particular niche that it occupies, right? Which is kind of like it will sit under all the other finance stuff that will be built on the blockchain. And then it's all about just being as efficient and just doing exactly the job that it's meant to do the best and not really worry about all the other stuff because everyone else will take care of that. And if Maker is best at delivering the service that it delivers, which is this low level credit and stability engine, then everyone else is always going to prefer to sort of use it as their sort of the final point where they sort of source the liquidity or they source their credit. And it's also interesting how this same dynamic applies to, for instance, how DAI interacts with other stable coins. 
So how DAI interacts with the centralized stablecoins. That um, again, it's not really that they're in competition because the centralized stablecoins, they are sort of, again, more like focused on being a product and kind of being like end user facing, right? And, and being real world facing. Whereas as Maker and DAI is again, like this infrastructure that kind of like sits wholly on the blockchain. So there's actually a very positive interaction between the DAI stablecoin and centralized stablecoins such as uh, the US dollar coin by Coinbase and Circle, where the USDC centralized stablecoin acts as a very efficient on-ramp and place where you can go between the, the traditional financial space and then into DAI in the fully decentralized finance world. Moving into general questions, we're getting a little bit of a bull vibe these days. What do you feel about the space these days? I think there was this little uh, shakeup right the other day where suddenly there was a, a steep crash. Mm -hmm. I don't expect that anything will go crazy anytime soon because, I mean, there's so many losses. There's so many people who've really been turned off from crypto and blockchain from the disaster, really, that the, the ICO bubble was, right? It was really like just, I mean, honestly, like irresponsible levels of... of uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it was just really of everything, investment, right? scamming, career, uh, fake product creation, everything was irresponsible levels. Yeah, and and it really did burn a lot of real people, right? Who came with sort of an open mind mm -hmm. and came with some interest, and of course, in many cases, also like irrational exuberance and greed, right? But ultimately, I mean, there's a something like that. I don't think it's really gonna it, it's gonna be over this quickly, honestly. And I more expect that where we are now is this kind of like, uh, yeah, what do you call it? Like a consolidation phase, right? Where and what's happening is in the bear market and in this process of accepting, oh, whoops, it was all hot air and totally useless, right? And now most of it is gone, right? In this period of, of the whole, the market crashing at this stage, I think was incredibly healthy in terms of the mindset of, of like developers and uh, and projects in the space because everyone started to focus on, oh, damn, you know, we don't have a free lunch. There's not like free crypto bubble money coming out of nowhere, right? In fact, we have to figure out how to make something that's real, how to actually solve real problems because only by solving real problems and making real products will there ever be a sustainable value creation in the ecosystem right and uh, and the problem is that takes a long time it doesn't come overnight and i don't think we're there yet right i think there's only a few projects that are showing promise at, at this point but the potential is there and it's going to happen eventually but i don't think that it's time for another crazy bull run at this stage because there just isn't enough stuff like substance still what do you think if this is the first podcast somebody was listening to just coming to the space, what would Rune tell them? I mean, Crypto 101 has positioned itself to be one of those first stops. You know, that somebody's going to go on Google, they're going to be like, hey, crypto, cryptocurrency, 101, get the basics. We're going to pop up. And this could be actually their first podcast they listen to. What would Rune want them to know? Even though their head has probably already exploded with loans and collateral and in this system, what would you want them to know? Yeah, I think I think uh, the best way to think about blockchain or like and the potential of blockchain and so on and why it's interesting is that old uh, principle of, of like technology over time, right? That you tend to overestimate how much gonna, is going to happen within, let's say, one year and you tend to underestimate how much is going to happen in five or ten years, right? So I think that's where crypto is right now, right? Like it's not going to be a, a revolution in in the short run and it's not really that like I mean, at this stage it's very very early in the history of, of blockchain but but at the same time there really is no doubt to anyone and i think this is becoming clearer and clearer basically every day that in something like 10 years time or 20 years time or 100 years from now the blockchain will really be seen as like one of the most fundamental changes in society it'll have an impact similar to the internet but of a scale that's even more massive because it really is going to be everywhere in a way that's hard to kind of like uh, describe how fundamental it will be because it's 
the blockchain really concerns itself with kind of like the most primitive ways that, that humans interact, right? which is in particular things like credit and value creation and transfer. And it takes that and just makes it yeah programmable, right? And makes it kind of like how the internet made communication programmable or something like that, right? It's really going to just completely like shake up the very foundation of society really over the long term. Right. Before I ask this last question, I want to say, Rune, thank you very much for the hour of your time. Thank you for giving us a little bit of a Rune 101. Get, thank you for giving us a Maker Dao Die CDP 101. There's a lot in there, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the space. And I want to also let you know that I was in Ethereum Denver, and I sat down with two of your colleagues, Mike and Mariano, and they're, they're good guys, man. Yeah, they're totally awesome. Last question I want to ask you before we get off today: What three songs would you like to put on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist, sir? You, you, you've been dreading this question. No, no, I, I just, uh, you know, I've actually made a little list so I know what to say because it's a bit obscure, right? So, Piercing Quiet, Radio Edit by Tritonal. Okay. And then Sparta by Monorail. Okay. And Lanius Explore by Ben Prunty. I have heard of zero of three songs. Well, they're really good. That's good, man. You're going to make our list a little more eclectic, a little more obscure than we usually have. So I appreciate that. Rune Christensen, co-founder of MakerDAO, CEO of the Maker Foundation. Thank you for coming on Crypto 101, sir. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101 Rune. If you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. And it was very nice to meet you and to speak with you. In our next episode of Crypto 101, we're going back to Ethereum Denver to talk to more projects for more 101s. I'm looking forward to sharing those conversations with you. And don't forget, Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency is available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. It's a great way to get into cryptocurrency. So if you have friends or family or even yourself and you want to know more about the 101s of cryptocurrency, pick up Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency. It will not only help you solidify and learn about the terms and the tech, but also give you a very good story about FOMOing and FUDing and the ups and downs of the market. So check out Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency on Amazon and also please share these episodes with your friends, your family, and on your social medias. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.